0: So I got to say, Carrie, I talk to folks all the time, and most organizations talk about people first approach, um, the culture matters. When you and I got on the phone, it was very refreshing. You led with data. You've reached top 1% employee engagement, but what blew my mind was that you promote 50% of the firm every year, right? 50%, unbelievable. Um, And then... As we continue the conversation, we talked to, you know, some folks refer to, of course, employees, crew members, associate, team members. And you said, fins. And you stopped me in my track, Gary. F- your folks are fins. We got we to gotta start with that story. Why fins?
1: Sure. A great place to start, Adam. Thank you for that. So, uh, when the company was founded, our CEO, Bruce... Um, Grew up in Corpus Christi, and one of his greatest memories was going to the beach and walking, watching pods of dolphins going by. And he knew in his heart, if he ever started a company, he wanted to have dolphins involved in it in some way because uh, of uh, just their nature, their fellow mammals, etc. He did start a company, Dolphin Software, at one point in time, uh, but he merged that into his a consulting firm eventually, and it went away. But then when he founded Party Veda, he wanted to bring it back and it became a part of our logos. And then at one of the first management team meetings, you know, people were like, well, what do we call ourselves? What do we like? Are we employees? Are we partners? We had, we knew we were going to be an ESOP, so we knew we'd be employee owners as well. And someone said, we just need to call ourselves fins short for dolphins, and it was because the dolphins had the, the, you know, kind of the human characteristics. There's stories about pods of dolphins attacking sharks to save a human uh, that come into play. The fact that they can talk to each other and communicate with each other and they team together. Those are the attributes we want to see in people. So when I got to Parivate, I joined um, a little late. Bruce asked me to be a founder and I said no, but he came back and was persistent. And I joined after five years it took me a year to get used to the word finn like i felt i was a partner at accenture sort of you know upper crust nice you know back then suit and tie regularly etc you just like finn it just sounded and then i realized what i was missing out on it was a cultural cultural nomenclature that was part of unity a part about us being ourselves and and we saw each other in ourselves and when we would recruit people, it became a very shorthand way of say I could see them as a Finn or they're a fan. Uh, and so when we when we began doing that and I got here after a year, I realized, man, I've missed out on at least a year of being part of this group by being so, you know, uppity, I guess I'd call myself about what I would what I would think about that, that um, that it was really just part of uh, having a culture of people who are real people. Uh, And able to team and see each other in the way that we want to so that's the nature of it Uh, Just it's short for dolphin Which is something that has the characteristics we want and a shorthand way of just saying that that's who we are
0: in your defense It's a stark contrast between the world. You can't you've come from to the world that that's created here with fins And, and you You said it really well. You see real people so
1: I was going to say, so when we also, when someone leaves us, we don't declare their findom done. Uh, We actually say that once a fin, always a fin. And we created an alumni group at a company that's only 20 years old. We have an alumni group that's got several hundred people in it across the country. And we call it finity, sort of the infinity nature or the finity of us being together as fins in a journey through life together. Not so much just as employees in the same company.
0: Extraordinary. You know, if, if it wasn't uh, authentic and operationalized, it would seem a little silly. But in reality, you've, words matter and you've created an entire culture around this concept. And, and I think it's fascinating. Um, Carrie, you know, you and I talked about goals a bit, and, and that also struck me as a very unique approach how you guys think about it. So, so when I ask you a question of what are, what are the main goals of the organization, how do you respond?
1: Well, our overarching purpose is to develop people towards their highest or fullest potential. We don't limit that to our employees. What we view is we are members of the same company, so we do want and give great focus on employee development, employees reaching their highest potential. But we work as in a consulting industry. And that means we work with others. So when we go on a project, we don't limit ourselves to, oh, we want to make ourselves better. And do we really care about our kind of the other consulting firms in there? Do we really care about our our client, the buyer of our services, the project managers from the from the account who are working with us? Our view is we want to make everybody around us on that project better in order to make our outcome better for the clients. And so we take a view that we're in this together. We want uh, to make certain that we're pointing out things that can be better. And we seek feedback from others on how we can be better in providing our services as well. And then we also know that we're part of a community. We want everybody engaged in the community that that they live in. And we want to be part of a business network that people see us as giving to the network, not taking from the network. And so that's another aspect of we want to develop people in our service to the community and part of boards we may serve on or in community efforts on projects we may work on. We want to be engaged in that way, too, in order to help others. It's not about us getting recognition is about us contributing to the betterment of society
0: through making people better. And you take that very seriously. Uh, I would say more seriously than any organization I have ever come across the development of people. So so could you unpack your philosophy? Let's touch on the approach. I I, speak on behalf of the audience listening in. Just share with us you know, how do you accomplish these extraordinary numbers? Fifty percent of the firm promoted every year—it seems extraordinary. Kerry, how do you do it? Um,
1: well, what's the phrase? You know, um, there's um, lies and statistics, and it's hard to tell between the two at times. Um, one of the things that, uh, quite frankly, we hire out of college people who are well equipped to be part um, to be managers in the world. They're able to think of what a manager does. A manager lays out plans to achieve an objective, to get a team, and all the resources aligned to achieving that. And typically, if you can think about a a year out into the future and a plan, that's what a good manager can easily do. Everyone that we recruit off college campuses has had to, as they go into their junior year, Think about what internship would likely be beneficial for them in their career to get to the company they want to get to be able to um, apply for and get interviewed by when they're a senior. So they're thinking a year plus ahead at that time. They can figure out what courses they need to take. They've got the mindset for it. But when they join our firm, they don't have the people experience That when someone comes in and wants to have a conversation with them about their work and the way the client treated them and they're feeling upset, they don't have the experience to draw upon to talk to them about the human side of the business. So we've got very, very talented people who our problem is to get out of their way, but also to teach them what it's like to be a manager as they start in our firm. So one of the benefits of doing that is we have a lot of people who get promoted very regularly at the early stage. Now, how do we ensure that? We have published the expectations of what it means to serve at a different level. So if you were to join a company straight out of college, you would enter as a consultant level one. And if you think about the progression, you'd be a consultant two. Then there's another cohort level called associate, associate one and two, manager one, two and three, principal one, two and three. For each one of those levels across about 70 dimensions of performance, we have listed in English language now, It haven't translated to any foreign countries yet, but a sentence or two that describes the expected behavior. So if you're in the concept of communications and there's a line item called managing meetings, if you're a consultant one, you're probably not managing meetings, but if you're in meetings, what that phrase is, is take notes and talk to your mentor afterwards about what happened in the meeting. So starting to have you have conversations about what did you see and the mentor being able to pour into them is about why they saw what they saw as it occurred in the meeting. So every dimension, if you're a vice president, it's more about are you able to read the room? Are you able to direct the conversation and overcome objections with a, you know, with the thoughtfulness, right? There's a, there's a phrase in there. Well, so across all 70 dimensions of performance, there is that, and it's published, so people can go to our internal uh, website and look at what does it take for me to be a C1. They can also pull up the column for Consultant 2 and look and say, well, and they can see the differences. So it will say, just show me the differences. Because if you want to get promoted, the best way to do it is not just do what you're doing, but start edging into to the next level. All reviews must be written against those expectations, the expectations framework. And so if you're C1, you're being judged against those published behaviors. You're being communicated about those by your mentor on a regular basis each month. And your reviews are written against those. So it's not a performance number. It's not how chargeable were you, how, much bill, how many billings did you bring in. It's are you behaving in the right way to be a C1? And eventually, are you showing enough that we can we can project that you would be successful as a C2? when that happens, you're promoted. And so our college hires can, you know, get promoted after a year, another year at C2. And so we have a large number that get that. As you get higher to the ranks, sometimes your performance isn't observable over the course of just a year to be able to see the outcomes. So as a principal, you may spend two years at a level and a vice president two years at a level because a lot of your objectives are going to be multi-year in nature and when you're performing at that level. Uh, but by creating an open um, net, uh, open expectations framework that people have a psychological contract within the company of having reviews written against it that they're able to, we have a card that you walk through when it comes time for the promotion that says, you know, do you see them meeting the expectations? Do you see them uh, being able to edge into the next ones? Do you think it'll do harm to promote them? There's a checklist that people walk through at the end of the promotion conversation to affirm that we're treating it similarly across all 12 offices so that everybody gets an equitable treatment by a diverse company but held to the same written standard of the expectations framework.
0: It's fascinating, and just to clarify this, psychological contract are the behaviors that are expected at every level within the organization, and having it so objectively documented and transparent allows the individuals to have the the freedom to be empowered to guide their careers. Am I understanding this right, Gary?
1: Uh, really close on that. The psychological contract is really a an is sort of a it's a term that was created by a, a, a um, Harry Levinson back in the 1940s, and it implied you as an employee have certain beliefs about what the company owes you, and the company has beliefs about what it owes you. Every company has that, whether they're published or not. It has psychological contracts of what what is the employee employer relationship like, and when you break that psychological contract, that obviously creates distrust one way or the other. Um, so with us, one of our psychological contracts is that we're gonna have an equitable process for people to be promoted. So how do you instantiate that? How does everybody get treated in an equitable way? And the best way we found out is to have a common expectations framework that is published so that every, everybody has the ability to see what it takes to be promoted And it's not just I was on a really good project and we delivered really well, but did you contribute with the right behaviors to that project in order to have it be successful? Or were you just along for the ride and others were doing the real work and it was visible to the project manager that despite being on a successful project, you weren't meeting the expectations of your level? So it's sort of in that sense of the psychological contract is really the equitable treatment that the firm will give you. If you look at that set of standards of,
0: of performance, extraordinary effort to make sure that it's equitable. Interesting, Carrie, What uh, has there been any changes to this to this process during the grade resignation that we've experienced over the last couple of years? And maybe you haven't. How? Let, let me rephrase the question. How have you, how has the grade resignation showed up for you?
1: Uh, We were not immune to uh, the resignation. I don't know that many companies uh, could claim them. We we realized that there were some things that happened during that period of time. Um, Some um, really good. uh, Our ability to operate and take our teams and be effective in a remote world was almost transparent and instantaneous. Uh, It was in March of 2020 that you know, the world sort of went to virtual overnight uh, and our clients told us we didn't miss a beat in productivity at all. Uh, it was great to see our teams rapidly shift and still have a lot of the common culture, even if not being in person. Um, we were determined to ride out uh, the the um, pandemic without having to uh, do anything, but as we got to the end of 2020, uh, we had um, a reduction in force because we had um, we knew the market was shrinking and we wanted to make certain that we were fair to individuals and we treated them fairly, but we did have a reduction in force. And so we had a psychological contract break because we were trying to ride it out without having to do a reduction, but we came to the point we did. And so attrition uh, spiked. We also saw that. People, you know, were across the world and we're not immune, were making choices about what they valued in life. And many wanted to have just remote work, period, and just go to holy soul remote work. In the consulting business, we believe that your best development is around others in a physical world and that your ability to serve a client is best served by being in person with them to get to know them beyond just what happens before you hit leave meeting, or better yet, after you hit leave meeting to still have the hallway talk as you go back to a cube about something that's more meaningful than just what went into the meeting. So we wanted all of our people to be in market um, when we came out of the pandemic. But the pandemic, we allowed people to move anywhere. And so as we've moved back to being in market, we lost a number of people who were offered the opportunity to be solely remote um, and chose that for their lifestyle. And I'm excited for them because, you know, people are choosing what's right for them as humans, as for, for people who have families, who have places they want to live, things they want to experience beyond work. I'm excited that people sort that out and make those decisions. And I'm grateful for the service they had, but we had much higher attrition than we wanted to. And now that we've gotten through people back into offices uh, and those that chose to want to be in the offices are here with us, uh, we've been able to get through it. We didn't have to change anything about the expectations framework uh, to think about being remotely worked because it was agnostic. It did limit some of the ability to develop trust with clients because clients weren't as approachable uh, or could we find as much prior, you know, kind of one-on-one time with clients in the remote world um, on an ad hoc serendipitous basis uh, that really that and our managers, I think it was harder for them to get the real feedback they needed for writing the reviews. So it caused us to have to stretch a bit that we didn't have to do when we could just see people On a regular basis in person, we had to go seek more feedback from others than we may have in the past. Uh, But the promotion rates have stayed at the same level uh, all throughout that period of time um, through, um, uh, through the pandemic.
0: Building relationships virtually is incredibly difficult, if not often, I would say impossible just like you said we're not designed to sit in front of a computer all day we're looking forward to getting off the computer and going into the physical world and if you don't have the ability to go get coffee go for a walk you know just have that that you know bonding connection you can't further the relationship carrie but it's fascinating that your promotion rate stayed the same and thank you for being open to share some of the attrition challenges that took place um, when we th- when you and I spoke, we spoke about the future of people initiatives, how do we make it more effective? And something you said that I've been thinking about since, which is you said you know the future is people operating independently. And you, and, you, and you alluded to this idea of democratization right of, of the of talent, of how uh, fins collaborate. So Carrie, when you think about the future of people initiatives, What are some of the trends that you could help prophesize, ideate, suggest, pick the wonder with me? Let's talk about the future. What do you think it looks like?
1: I think we've seen democratization happen across many different industries. So you can look at how people become independent content producers through social media and how they make livings off of that that was not possible before. You can think about people who have become more in the gig economy Uh, able to move from uh, project to project and working based upon what they want to work on and who they want to work with, much like the, the movie industry does. There's no company that makes movies. It's producers who gets people to come work together for a project, and then they separate. Some work together again, some not. So how does a company think about its employee base? And if you think about them, every day they have their own agency, but it's fairly binary. I either show up to work or I don't. Like I choose to come to work or I don't choose to come to work. Well, in a consulting firm, you know, we have lots of opportunities for individuals to have them aligned to uh, projects. And so one of the things that we see is that in a world that's got greater democratization of work and that people have choices to make, that they'll have greater agency to be what they want to be and to grow as they want to grow. How do we create that same opportunity inside the company uh, in, in our process of matching people to various projects. And so we are working through moving closer to a marketplace model inside where project teams will be incented to express what opportunities they have for people and what needs they have, what are the opportunities on those roles for people development, i.e., what will someone get out of working on this project in this team for their own personal development. And then individuals can propose themselves, just if it were a freelance world, I get to propose myself on various projects so that I can sort of say I want to be over here, I want to be over here, or I might want to bid to three of them and see which ones I get to get chosen for. That puts into a different dynamic. Most companies, the the leaders on projects, don't have to really – promote their project or say what's good about it they just say i need three people and somebody sends them three people here we've got to have people get used to wow what would be better for my career if i were to propose myself on these projects sometimes when i talk internally people aren't quite ready for this but i think as i get them excited about it they can see, oh, so I really do get to craft my career in a different way if I'm able to think more clearly. And I see more opportunities and, and there's becomes embedded in that somewhat of a psychological contract for the project manager who's selecting people on the project to live up to the promises they make about how they're going to get developed on the project versus just treating them as people who are staffed on the project and people that are assigned to them. And they, they have to develop them, but now it's more personal in that. So we see the world as one where there's greater agency of employees inside of companies about what they choose to go work on, and we wanna do that because it's mirroring what's happening in the outside world.
0: Fascinating. It's almost like creating your own internal economy based on career uh, desires, based on potential. Of course, logistically, operationally, it's probably creating an entire series of challenges to overcome but we are talking about a future state and and, and a, you know care that sounds fascinating what about what about change management learning and development internal communication implications you know do you see a day when the way you communicate with individual evolves do you guys look to data to make your communication more relevant Curious if there is anything in that zip code that you are contemplating.
1: Um, we have become, and we're not alone in this, but we have done more what you would call um, pulse surveys uh, to engage with employees to understand how they're feeling about things than ever before. Uh, very common place for each office to run through a series of dynamics on a regular basis to understand, are we doing better at communications? Are we doing better about expressing change? Are people feeling like they're in the know more than ever or not? And then reacting to it um, and reacting to it in a human way, not in, you know, wow, we certainly dropped in our number, but more, wow, I I didn't really share that change in an effective way. Uh, and I need to do better about that. And our employees, I think, appreciate the, the humanness by which we treat this. It's not statistics just to sense, you know, how well we're doing, but uh, statistics to help us sense when we have erred and then be able to go in and look at what we did wrong and what we could do better about it. Uh, it gradually declines the worst because sometimes you get, you know, the numbers slightly go down over a period of weeks and then you wonder if people are just getting tired of the survey so we don't try and do the same survey, survey every week or so but change it up so that we're cycling through the information and people you know feel like they're contributing without having to answer you know 50 survey 50 questions a week or whatever it might be you know you can only get a couple of responses from people in a weekly survey and better to do it that way
0: sure you don't want to risk uh, survey fatigue you know that's a real thing.
1: Yes, and so and it competes too with other surveys that are meaningful. Uh, we do an internal engagement survey that allows us to, and we tell people, look, this is internal. This is not best places to work, which is a marketing effort to try and, to try and you know win an award that makes us an attractive place for recruiters to or recruits to want to come work for the company and makes our clients and prospects feel good about working with us. It's called an engagement survey and we want you to be brutally honest about how we're doing and tell us whether, you know, things like you feel like you're excited to go to work every morning, feel like your, you know, your talents are being used very effectively. Those are hard questions and those are, you know, some of the places where, uh, you can really let people, let people have, people can let you have their true honest feelings. We take those, you know, very, very seriously about how we are engaging with people and doing on that. Uh, and yet our scores, which is done through um, uh, the college, uh, sorry, the corporate, uh, I think it's called the corporate board now. It used to be a different name, um, a CEB, corporate executive board, a corporate education board. They came to us and said, you guys are just off the charts. You're in the top 1% of all the engaged companies, uh, of of all the companies who ever you know uh, surveyed, you're in the top 1%. And we're like, yeah, but there's several things over here we just have to be better at. Like, we're not satisfied being there. We know we have a good culture, but there's some places that we, we, we're we just average and we need to be better about it. And sort of change in communications is one of those. And then also the whole idea of people feeling like they're getting a voice in where they're staffed uh, is another one of those that we're working on.
0: Say more about that, Gary.
1: Well, just the idea that um, – I get to apply, get to chan, I get the chance to apply my technical my skills um, is one of the ones that has always been a challenge because we know that we, as I said in the opening part of the conversation, we hire talented people, people who are ready to be managers yet not really fully capable of being in a manager role, and so we know that we're not fully applying their talents to the work that they have all the time. So how do we construct that? Well, one aspect is having them more engaged in the choice of what they work on. Because when you're staffed on something, you can always say, well, I didn't choose this for myself. I might've chosen something different. But now when you're proposing yourself on projects, you become more engaged in it, in the choice about it. And it's also required that the, the project manager share more about the development opportunities so you can see those. So you come in with a better frame of mind to judge it. If if those are met, then you're more likely to say a higher score on that. If they're not met, you might score lower. But at least we're now reacting to the message that people didn't feel like they were getting to use their skill as fully as they wanted to uh, in the process of the staffing.
0: There's almost a sense of co ownership through the process. Interesting.
1: People people want to be part of a decision, and they don't want. uh, We hire curious people. And we uh, when I uh, from this very beginning, uh, the core tenants were it had to be about people and it had to be a company that had an ESOP, an ESOP, an Employee Stock Ownership Program, which is an ERISA Act um, entity that is essentially a trust in which the company is partly owned by the employee trust. Those were things that Bruce said about when he started the company because he felt very dearly that if we were going to be a company that was about developing people to their fullest potential, then you had to set up a structure that would protect the company from an acquisition, that any company that buys another company doesn't buy the company because well, – doesn't that's a universal term? Rarely buys the company because they want that company to come in and change the culture. No, the acquiring company usually wants to change the company's the, the culture of the acquired company. And so, if we started the company with a focus and the purpose that we have of developing people to their fullest potential, any acquisition would destroy the company because who's going to want to keep that? Anybody that buys us would want us. For the talent and for the client base. That's what professional services firms are known for. It's not that, it's not that they are great with their culture. It's that they are great about delivering and about client work. Uh, well, the other thing that we started with was the concept of transparency because what could eat away at the inside of a company who's full of curious, talented people is hidden information because then people think I'm sorry, but people tend to think the worst when information is hidden from them. Why are you hiding this? This is not something I, why can't I know this information? So we have an open published salary scale so people know what everybody makes so we don't have to have any games about who gets made, who makes more money because of what university they went to or, you know, what former job they had. It's published information about the salaries because it's the same for every level subject to a geodifferential. We don't worry about uh, we have a published way of getting promoted so that everybody sees what that is. We share our financials on a weekly basis so people know where we are in terms of profitability and progress against plans so that they don't have to fear that the company is going to be going under anytime soon. We publish every win every client win we get and why we want it and what value it was to the client so that people can learn from the business sense how our business is uh, helping others in the community. We, do, we publish every community service win so people can see the activity that's going on on giving back to the community. Transparency is a critical factor in helping people learn and grow. And it also prevents people from thinking thoughts about why we're hiding information that could then sort of eat away at the confidence they have in the company.
0: Just the the more I learn about your organization, the, the more, you know, I admire it. I mean it's really you, you build from from the foundation to, to create the legacy uh, f- really focused on creating a place for folks to to thrive, to thrive, and to thrive lo- long term. So, Carrie, for for those that are listening, right? These are typically champions of change, and um, they're not as fortunate as you to be in an organization that has such a, a amazing foundation. But they are looking to create change within their companies and to get the internal alignment and buy-in. What advice? Would you give to those that are looking to create positive change as they think about the future of people initiatives?
1: Yeah, you know, it it's we have the advantage of being founded with an yeah you know, desire to architect the company a certain way, and so when we go and we get asked by companies how can you know how can we go do this? Yeah, you know, most of the people asking don't have the overarching authority to change the company universally overnight. And nor do they have the, you know, kind of the positional power or the relationship power in order to make that happen. Uh, but there are ways in which you can affect and become more human centric in leading the company through it. And I think that's a key aspect of it. So people, people, you know, understand the frustrations that you know, that are there in the company. And typically, it's you know, it is about how people are perceiving. Something being done in terms of a difference between what they would expect to have happen and what they would like to have happen. That happens at times without change. That typically happens more at times of change. And so leading through change requires that constant, It requires really developing an understanding of how will people feel going through this, putting yourself in the minds of those who are affected, and then designing everything around the audience. It's not about making the change. It's about getting people to affect the change inside the company. And then, if you're doing something more, uh, more to make cultural change, cultural, in my definition, is the you know is kind of the way we behave or the accepted practices and beliefs of a company. So, what can you change inside of an area? To pilot and prove this. Can you allow people the opportunity to select the projects that they go on versus just assign them to it and have people be more engaged? That would be a process in many companies that is a departmentalizable thing. You can get a win going on there, and then you could see it spread throughout the company. Can you start putting in an expectations framework for your company so people can see what it takes to be promoted? We've got several companies that have come to us And asked us to help them bring our expectations framework to them and modify it to help them uh, align to the way in which they look at their employee base and and progression through that so that you can be more transparent there. Uh, Can you spend more time in mentoring uh, and make it a visible requirement of your managers to not just be managers, but to be coaches and mentors of people? Uh, those are some ways that I think if you think about the way in which employees want to be seen as being humans and be treated as humans, uh, that would be an effective you know, place to carve out some small wins uh, to create some momentum for doing larger things down the road
0: treated as humans Carrie, what, what a conversation i appreciate you taking the time i, I very much look forward to our next discussion I, I think there is a a ton that the world can learn from from what you guys do thank you for sharing it
1: well you're welcome adam i hope if anyone has any questions please you know reach back out to adam and you know i'm glad to help answer anything you know we're just part of a community we want to give we want to be helping others develop, and we love answering questions and helping others how they get started on a journey like this. So you've got a tremendous audience that loves uh, leading change, and I'm glad that we we at Paribet are able to contribute with you.
0: Wonderful, Kerry. Over now.